Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, thank you for joining us today. Even though it's a snowy, kind of rainy day outside, I appreciate you being here. We are in a series of messages called Endgame, where we have been looking at what the Bible says, not, not what our own feelings are or interpretations are, but what does the Bible say itself about the end times events. So we are just in the beginning stages of this entire series. We're going to spend a few, uh, probably a few months in this series looking at it in depth and really getting an idea of what God is saying about the end of time events. We have looked so far this is number five in our series so far, the first four messages. We have looked at living in the light of the end of all things. We've looked at what is God's end game. We have looked at Jerusalem being the epicenter of the end of all things. And then last week, we looked at Jesus giving this prophecy about what the end times events are going to be, the prophecy of the end of all things. And so that prophecy that we looked at from Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39. The reason I bring that up is because that prophecy fulfills or really it leads to all of Jesus's teaching in Matthew 24 and 25 so that we can understand exactly what the events are actually going to be and the things that we need to look for as we maybe even are nearing the end of all things according to what the Bible says. So Jesus was there in Jerusalem. He was in the temple and he was there in the temple and he was giving a final message to the religious leaders. And it was a series of things called woes. They were condemnations. He was pronouncing judgment and curses upon the people because they were following God with their lips, but not with their hearts. They were saying, God, yes, we love you, but their hearts were far from God. Jesus, seeing that hypocrisy, gave them this series of condemnations. And then Jesus finished it all up by saying in chapter 23, verses 37 through 39, he said this, he said, Jerusalem, you guys are guilty. I have sent people to you. I have sent prophets before you. You have stoned them and you have killed them. You are guilty of all that's going to come upon you. And then he says, but that's not my heart. My heart is to gather you, not scatter you. My heart is to protect you, not bring judgment against you. And then Jesus says, um, as a result of what they had done, as a result of the fact that they had killed the prophets, he says, here's what's going to happen. He gives the prophecy. The prophecy is this. He says, you your house will be left to you desolate. Now in Luke, he says, because you did not understand the time of your visitation, your house will be left to you desolate. If you were a first century Jew and you heard him speak those words, you would have had a different understanding than we probably have today. Because if you were a first century Jew and you heard Jesus say, your house will be left to you desolate, you would have immediately understood that he was talking about the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, it says that in the end, in the end times events, there are four things that are going to happen. One is that Israel will be invaded. Number two is that Jerusalem will be destroyed. 
Number three, the temple will be desolated, and then you will see the Son of Man return. So Jesus says all of those things. This is what's going to happen in the end, he says. Israel will be invaded, so watch Israel. Jerusalem will be destroyed. The temple will be desolated, which means there has to be a rebuilt temple in order for desolation to occur. And after that, the Son of Man will return. Now, just to understand the context and the flow, Jesus was there and he was teaching in the temple. He was proclaiming judgments. He gave this prophecy. Then he and his disciples left and they went to a place called the Mount of Olives. It was about a 30-minute walk. That was it. So there is a 30-minute time gap between the end of Matthew 23, the beginning of Matthew 24, we're going to pick it up there. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 24 for our study here today. So let me show you what it says. So Jesus had just gone after them. He had just railed against them, got, uh, given them curses and woes. And it says this, now when Yeshua, that's the Hebrew name for Jesus, it's the actual name of Jesus, is Yeshua. When Jesus, Yeshua, went out and was going away from the temple. So he had just finished in the temple. He was going away. Then he, uh, they were walking to the Mount of Olives. The disciples came up to him. And it's kind of like they were making small talk because the disciples were probably talking among themselves saying, whoa, did you hear what he just said? He, he just said Israel's going to be invaded. He just said Jerusalem will be destroyed. He just said the temple will be desolated. And then he was going to return. Did you, did you guys hear him say that? So they're having some small talk, and they go to Jesus, and they say in kind of a small talk, you know, killing time kind of way, they said, hey, uh, look, at the, look at these buildings of the temple. Now, they had just been there. They were just there. Look at, Jesus, did you notice the buildings? Did you notice how great they are? And they were magnificent. It was Herod's building of the temple, his remodel. Did you notice how great this is? And Jesus looked at them and responded, like, I'm not going to fall for your little small talk. He says, don't you see all of these? He responded to them, I, amen, I tell you, not one, one stone will be left here on top of another. Every one will be torn down. Now, that would happen in 70 AD. Jesus just gave a prophecy. All of the, uh, well, three of the four gospels were written at least before 62 AD. Jesus just prophesied this will happen, and then it happened. That should cause you to think, wow, if he could say that and predict that, maybe I should listen to him. Jesus just gave this prophecy this is the prophecy of the fact that it's going to be torn down. This is not end times. This was just the event of that day because the end times haven't happened. There has been no return of the Lord. There's been no blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These are events that happened. They have not happened yet, the events that he's going to talk about in Matthew 24. So Jesus gives a prophecy. They're going to ask now a series of questions. And as they ask these questions, Jesus is going to answer them the things that we need to know to understand all of the end times events. So let's look at this together. Here's what he says. As he was sitting, so they had reached the Mount of Olives. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, he's going to say to them, boys, uh, let me talk to you about this. Go ahead and take a seat. They come to him privately they said, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Those are the three questions. Those are our questions as well. Jesus, when will these things happen? 
What, what are the, these things? It's the things that he had just talked about in Matthew 23. When will Israel be invaded? When will Jerusalem be destroyed? When will the temple be desolated? When will you return? Jesus, when will these things happen? And then he says this, they say this, what will be the sign of your coming? What should we be looking for, Jesus, before you return? And then Jesus, what will be the sign of the end of the age? The word end of the age means the culmination of the events. What will be the sign of the completion of time? What will be the sign that all of this has come to a close? That was their questions. And that's really the questions that we have too. When will these things be? What is going to be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign to help us know that we are in the end of, a, of the age? Now, here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to answer them, and he's going to give them these three things. First, he's going to say this. There's going to be birth pains. There's going to be contractions. You're going to feel the contraction process. The baby is getting into alignment. The delivery will happen soon. These are just the birth pains. These are just the first events that are going to happen. He's going to say that they're going to be global, social, and ecological. Then you will see the ultimate culminating sign. You will see the great tribulation begin with something called the abomination of desolation, which we will eventually get into. That's also known as Jacob's trouble. It's the most, uh, the most painful, traumatic event in the history of Israel ever to happen. It will happen at that time. Then Jesus is going to say, then you're going to see the coming of the Son of Man. Those are the events that are going to happen. So those are the questions. The questions, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign or the signs of the end of the age? What should we be looking for, Jesus? How can we know when we're almost there? How can we know when everything is coming to an end? What, should we, what are the signposts that we should be watching for? If you're driving down a highway and you're wanting to get to a certain destination, you're constantly looking at the signposts to show you the mileage markers or the mileage left until you reach your destination. So they're saying, Jesus, what is, show, tell us what the, the signposts are. What should we be looking for? Now, Jesus is going to give them the greatest sign that is found in the Bible. The sign that is the predominant sign, the sign that is going to be the one talked about the most in the New Testament about the end of times. He's not going to pull out a chart. He's not going to say, pay attention to conspiracy theories. He's not going to say, don't get the vaccine, or he's not going to say, count the number of blood moons in the sky. He is not going to say, watch your financial information. Don't get a microchip in your hand. He's not going to say, look out for a one world currency. Instead, Jesus is going to give something very, very different. He's going to emphasize the most repeated sign that is found in the Bible about the end of days. Look what he says. They say, what is the sign? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus, Yeshua Jesus answered them, be careful that no one leads you astray or deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will lead many astray or deceive many. Deception is the primary sign of the end of all things. Let's pray as we get into this a little bit deeper. Father, I pray that you would help me to communicate for you what your word says. I pray, Father, that it would not be my words, but your words 
that you would show us, Lord, why deception matters, why we need to pay attention to it, why we need to be aware of it, Lord, and how we can avoid it. Lord, show us your truth. Have your way among us. Help us to walk in the center of your will. Help us to understand, Lord, how this applies to us today here in Wyoming, so many years removed from the time you had this conversation. Lord, give us awareness and insight into your word. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So Jesus says, look, here is the sign to be aware of. People are going to come and they're going to try to lead you astray. People are going to come and they're going to try to deceive you. People are going to come even in the name of Jesus, in the name of Messiah, and say, I am the Messiah and will lead many astray. Jesus is going to repeat this pattern over and over again. He's going to say, beware of being deceived. Beware of being led astray. This is the primary thing he's going to say to look to. A few verses later in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, he's going to say this. Many false prophets will arise and deceive and lead many astray. Once we get to verses 23 and 24, he's going to say this, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah or there he is, do not believe it for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and show great signs and wonders so as to lead astray or deceive, if possible, even the chosen. Deception is the tool that is going to be used by Satan as we approach the end times events. It is going to ramp up, it is going to intensify, and you're going to see more and more evidence of people that are being led astray or things that are being taught to try to lead people astray. Now, why is all of this happening? Why is, why is this going on? And to understand that, you need to understand that Jesus, uh, when he came and warned them of this, was knowing that there is an enemy to our souls that is going to try to deceive us in those end times. Satan, his primary tool is deception. He has deployed a legion of liars to try to lead us astray and try to lead believers astray. To understand this, you need to understand the difference between God and Satan. Despite contrary opinion in other, other false religious teachings, Jesus and Satan are not brothers. Jesus is fully God. He is part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God is above Satan. Satan is one of his created beings. He was the most beautiful of the creations, but he is a created being nonetheless. Satan wanted to have all of the power and, and praise that God himself has, and so Satan rebelled against God, and he led people astray from the very beginning. Satan uses deception as a tool. And the reason he does that is that he knows he cannot get to God. He wants to get at God. He wants to hurt God, but he does not have the power that God has. Satan is not all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. Those are only given to God. Satan does not have that. And so Satan, knowing he cannot get to God, knowing he can't affect God, does the very next best thing, and that is to go after the ones that, he, that God loves more than anything else, and that is you and I. That is all of creation. That is mankind, humanity born of all time. God died for humanity. God loves humanity. God created humanity. And so God longs to have humanity return that affection and to come to him. 
But Satan, knowing I can't get to God, he'll do the very next best thing. He will go after the ones that God loves. That's you and I. Satan knows that if he can lead people astray, it will hurt God's heart. And so that's what he does. Satan is, though he's not everywhere, though he's not all-powerful, though he is not all-knowing, he is a military genius who has forces set up around the world to do his bidding, the fallen angels who do what he wants to have accomplished. Satan, knowing he can't get to God, begins to deceive people, to deceive all of humanity. Satan does know how to read. And if you think about this, he is brilliant. He has been around since the beginning of the creation. He knows every language. He can read the Bible. He knows what the Bible says. He knows that his time is drawing near an end. As his time draws near an end, he is like a cornered animal that wants to take out as many people as possible before his end eventually happens. So he will unleash a massive amount of deception, a massive amount of, of false messiahs in order to deceive people and to lead them astray, to cause them to miss a relationship with God. He is like a suicide bomber who says, I'm going out, but I'm going to take out as many people with me as I possibly can. That's where deception comes from. Deception is Satan's tool to lead people off of the path, to lead people astray. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's judgment comes on the children of disobedience. In Colossians 2.8, Paul says this, See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. There's that word again, deception according to the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world rather than Messiah. What does that mean? It means that we are going to be deceived with a couple of things, the traditions of the world or the traditions of men. In other words, what everybody thinks, what the popular opinion of the day is, and the basic principles of the world, the things that we use to lead others astray. That's what God is going to, say to warn us against. It is how Satan operates. You think about how deception occurs in life. How many times are we led astray just by empty philosophies? Our kids go away from home to college, and how many false philosophies are they given? False beliefs of the world, new paradigms, new narratives in order designed to lead them astray. His plan is to put up false signposts. It's, if you've ever gone to a location, maybe you're going shopping and you, you are trying to follow directions on signposts and somebody has changed the signpost and it leads you in the wrong direction. That's what deception is. So his weapon is deception. It is the way he comes against us and that is the very thing that Jesus warned against. He said, beware, be careful that nobody leads you astray because many are gonna come in my name and they're gonna lead many people astray. To understand this, we need to understand a little bit more about what this definition of deception or leading astray is. The word led astray or deception is a Greek word. The word is planao or plane or planates. Now, that word is a word that is called transliterated. Words from the Greek language that the New Testament were written in were either translated or they were transliterated. 
Translated means they change the term from a Greek term into an English term. That's a translation. Transliterated means the word was just slid across from the Greek language right into the English language. This is a word that was transliterated. It's a word that we use in our vocabulary, though you may not recognize it in this form. It is the word for planets. Planets are ones that lead astray. Now, I, I don't know how you, how, what you're thinking about that. You're probably thinking, well, how does that work? Is that like the controversy over whether Pluto is a planet or not? You know, is that the, is that the, no, it's different than that. To understand what is being meant, you have to understand what happened in the day of Jesus. In the day of Jesus, they didn't have electronic devices. You didn't have a, a smartphone or an iPad or a laptop. You didn't have electricity. You couldn't go home and turn on the TV and watch TV. In fact, you didn't have books on your shelves. You maybe would have a scroll or two, but mostly it was storytelling. You would just tell stories. That's how information would pass down. In the evening times, and, and mostly there, you were a sunup to a sundown kind of a person. You just, that was your time. But in the evenings, at night, they would go out for fun, and they would lay out and look up at the stars, especially if you were part of an agrarian society, meaning that you were in the fields most of the time. For fun at night, you would just go lay on your back and look up at the stars. That would be fun. And it, in fact, it kind of sounds fun to me just to do that, to take away from everything else and just go lay out under the stars. But think about it. There was no light pollution. There was no, uh, there was no electricity. They would lay out and, they would, and the stars would be just incredible. Think of the vast scene that you would see laying under the stars at night. So there you are, laying under the stars, just looking at the heavens above you. And as you're laying there looking, you noticed over years and years of looking at this, and because your parents and grandparents would tell you this, you would notice that the stars would follow a set pattern. The stars would be in a constellation. They would be part of a grouping. And the stars, though they would change a little bit with the rotation of the earth, though they didn't know that, they always stayed together. They stayed connected in whatever constellation or whatever, whatever pattern they were a part of. And so you'd be laying out there under the stars and you would notice that all of the stars followed a set order, except you would notice something different. There was a handful of stars that you would look up at in the sky and you would say, well, wait a second, that star was there last night, and, and now it's over here tonight. And so they had two groupings of stars. You had the group of stars called the fixed stars, always followed the same pattern. And then you had the stars that were known as the wandering stars, those stars that had no fixed point or fixed constellation that they were a part of. They were called the planetes which we know today as the planets. Now, they didn't have telescopes. They didn't know that the solar system existed, but they just noticed those stars stay fixed, but those other stars, that are they're wandering. They're not fixed to a point. That is what deception is. So listen to this. Deception means to wander, not fixed to a point, drifting, seduced, misled, deluded, ensnared. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, be careful that you are not, that no one planaos you, causes you 
to wander, causes you to drift, causes you to lose your moorings. Be careful because many are going to come in my name saying, I'm the Messiah, and they will planow. They will cause you to wander away and drift away. So think of it like this. You have a boat that is anchored in a bay. One boat that is anchored, when the winds pick up and the waves rise and the storm descends, the boat that is anchored stays fixed to the point because it's anchored. But you have another boat who has no anchoring, It's there in the middle of the bay. You leave it there in the middle of the bay. But when the wind comes up and the waves rise and the storm descends, now this boat is drifting and blown everywhere. In fact, it drifts and crashes into rocks. And in fact, it's probably even out of the water because it has drifted away from its fixed point. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, don't be deceived. Don't let anybody loose your anchor. Don't let anybody cause you to not have your your life surely fixed at a specific point. Because as soon as you are not anchored in and not fixed and not holding on to a fixed point, you will easily be deceived. The devil wants people not to be fixed to anything. God wants you to be fixed to a point. For God, the point that we are fixed to is called truth and doctrine. I know you may be thinking doctrine. Oh, doctrine. Doctrine is so boring. It's so divisive. You bet it does. You bet it's divisive. It's meant to divide. Doctrine is the thing that God wants us to be fixed to. He wants us to be fixed to points such as the doctrine of the uh, of inspiration, the inspiration of scripture, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of Jesus and, and as the Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the resurrection. He wants us to be fixed to all of those points because he knows if we are anchored as soon as life gets tough, we will stay where we need to stay. But for those that are not anchored, those that are not fixed, when the life, when life gets tough and the winds blow and the storms rise, we will crash out of God's will onto the rocks of life. Now, we have a lot of issues, I think, that happen as a result of this. For many, you think about the church, the church world in general today. The church today is, is, has really compromised doctrine after doctrine after doctrine. Things in the church world today, in the American church, and this is not every church, but this is a lot of churches. The things that we used to be fixed to, we aren't fixed to anymore. The doctrines that used to matter don't matter anymore. And so now what you see in the American world is the church floating on the waves of the American, uh, the American opinion and American ideas floating every which way. It, it's kind of like this. If this microphone stand represented God and this podium represented the world and I represented the church, the church used to be right next to God. We want to be close to him. We want to be connected to him. I want to be fixed to him. But because we have unleashed our anchors, and said, doctrine doesn't matter, we compromise. Now the church has drifted all the way over to where the world is. And the church is maybe a step ahead of the world, 
But the church has moved far away from God because we have said these things don't matter. We've said that doctrine doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter. This is the state of the church today. The American church today, in many cases, and there's not, not all of them are bad, but there's a lot. Most of the American churches today are about a show. They're about a presentation. They're, it's enti entirely an entertainment driven. It's a wonderful program that is presented. It's a fantastic mo motivational talk. It's often a social justice movement, but that's not God. That is not the gospel. We have moved away because we are not moored to God any longer. This is why when kids go to school and you just see this happen, when they go to a university, they once were solid, but now they get to the university and they're just, they fall apart because they're no longer anchored and they're not fixed to a point. So be careful. Be careful who you listen to. I know that um, for me, I've talked to other people in the church. Uh, there's so many options that you can listen to online. There are so many pastors that give a great motivational talk. In fact, uh, I've talked to people. I probably fall down in the, you know, below number 10 of your top favorite pastors because you can listen to them all online. Be careful who you're listening to. Be careful that they aren't just watering down the word of God. Be careful that they are actually preaching the word of God. Be careful that they are helping you to be fixed into the word of God, to be attached to doctrine and truth. So Jesus says, look, be careful. He said, be careful that nobody comes along and they try to cause you to wander. Be careful that nobody comes along and they try to deceive you. Make sure that you're fixed to a solid point, that you're fixed to God and that you're attached to him. Are you doing that? Are you fixed into the word of God, knowing the word of God, studying the word of God, learning the word of God, making sure it's implanted in your heart? What I want to give you as we wrap this up today, I want to give you three things of how to avoid deception. Three little things right from God's word about how to avoid deception. The first thing I want you to know is this, you need to be responsible. This is the words of Jesus himself. This is not Aaron's words. These are Jesus's words. Again, Matthew 24, verses four and five, what we've already read, look at this. Yeshua Jesus answered them. Be careful that no one leads, now look at this word, that no one leads you astray. Be careful that nobody leads you astray. There are things in life that it's just up to you and up to me to be responsible for. I can't live your life for you. I can't be responsible for you. I can bring you God's word. I can teach you to the best of my abilities, but it's up to you whether or not you will decide, I want to be anchored into God. I want to follow him. Jesus says, you be careful that no one leads you astray. God is sovereign. And he is over all things in life. There are a lot of things that God is responsible for but he's not responsible for everything. There are things that he clearly puts on our shoulders and says to you, this is up to you. You are the one responsible. You don't want it, don't take it. You don't wanna follow me, don't follow me. You don't wanna learn my word, don't learn my word, it's up to you, but it's up to you not to be led astray. This is your calling in life. Be careful that no one leads you astray. In Galatians, it says this, for each one will carry his own load. 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, this is an individuality, each one is going to receive what they, uh, the things that they are due for the things they did while they were in the body, whether good or bad. We will appear before God. You're accountable for you. I'm accountable for me. It's up to me not to be led astray. It's up to you also not to be led astray. God puts the responsibility clearly on us. So the question becomes, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to, for your own soul and your own life, take responsibility and say, you know, it's my job. It's not anybody else's job. I can't lean upon my pastor, my parents, my church. I can't lean upon my Bible study. It's up to me whether or not I will be responsible for me. First way to avoid deception, be responsible. Don't be deceived. Second thing he says is this, also be rooted. I want you, God says, to be rooted. Again, look at what it says in the words of Jesus himself. Yeshua, Jesus answered them, said, be careful that no one leads you astray. And then he says this, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and will lead many astray. How do you know whether somebody is coming doing that if you're not rooted and grounded in the word of God? You can't possibly know. Now, to understand what he is saying, I've got to tell you what the word Messiah is. The word Messiah is the Greek word Christos, and it means anointed. So what is Jesus saying? He said that there are, are going to be many that come in my name, and they are going to claim and say, I am anointed, or I am under the anointing of God, or I am coming as a representative of God, and his favor is upon me. And we have many churches today that are doing that that are coming in the name of God saying, well, I'm, God's blessed me, I'm the leader, you need to just listen to whatever I say and do whatever I do, and they are coming in a false manner that will lead people astray because people don't know the word of God. There are churches today, popular churches, mega churches, mega rich pastors, and you listen to the message that they give and they don't ever talk out of the Bible. You listen to the message they give, and they, they may use a verse, but it's distorted completely out of the context of what the Bible says. And they are acting like a false Christ who is coming in the name of Jesus saying, well, I have God's favor. And what they are doing is leading people astray. In verse 11, Jesus is going to say they are false prophets. The word false is pseudo. They're pseudo Christ. Now, a pseudo-Christ or a false Christ or a false Messiah. It makes me think of um, the time that uh, Jennifer and I went to, with the kids, we went to uh, the Denver Mint. Have you guys gone through that? Just downtown Denver, it's free. You can walk through the Mint. And they have a display set up of counterfeit currency. And the counterfeit currency is pretty remarkable. If you take an actual $100 bill and you put it next to a counterfeit piece of currency, it's not like the counterfeit currency is red where the $100 bill is green or the counterfeit piece of currency has a picture of Fred Flintstone rather than George Washington. You look at them together, they're almost identical, almost. Most often the way they can tell them apart is just a small little detail, maybe the way that it certain feels or now they have the uh, electronic tracking or strips that are in those things too, but it, it looks almost identical. 
See, that's what's going to happen. Deception will ramp up. And as the deception ramps up, you will see people coming in the name of Jesus who look almost perfect. But if you dig down, you will realize that the doctrine or the thing that they are saying is so contrary to the word of God. It's like they're one degree off. One degree doesn't sound like much, does it? Do you know that one degree off, if you're running a 100-yard race, my daughter was a sprinter, one degree off from the starting point means that she would finish 5.2 feet away from her intended target. So if she's running in her lane, she's going to be off about three lanes by the time she gets to the finish line. If you're driving a mile in a car and you're one degree off from your destination, you will end up about um, 92 feet off from where you were intending to be. If you're flying in a plane from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and the pilot is just one degree off, which doesn't sound like much, one degree off, he will land or she will land about 42 miles off course, 42 miles away from the airport that they were supposed to land in. If you were part of the NASA space program and you were intending to make it to the moon and the, the, the uh, projections were one degree off and the calculations one degree off, you would find that you would miss the moon by about 4,170 miles. If you were trying to make it to the sun and send something to the sun and it was just one degree off, you would end up 1.6 million miles off of your intended target. See, just one degree off doesn't seem like much, but compounded over time, you will realize that I have completely missed the mark. Some of you are involved in denominations or church backgrounds that seem okay, but they're just one degree off. And that one degree off is enough to send people to hell. Let's picture it another way. Let's say I had a glass of water. In fact, I have a bottle of water. Say you had a full bottle of water. It was, it was wonderful. 99% pure. 99% of that water, it was spectacular water, wonderful water. But 1%, they went to the waste treatment plant and they got some toxic sewage and they added it to it. Only 1% would you be willing to drink it. 99% pure. Just 1%, you know, sewage. The answer is no. Because 1% or 1 degree is all it takes to lead somebody completely off course. One degree of rat poison is enough to poison you. So Jesus says, look, be careful because there are going to be many people who come in my name and they're going to say, well, I'm a representative of God. I, I have the anointing of God. Look at how much he has blessed us. Look how big we are, powerful we are, rich we are. Look at my fleet of private jets. Look at how many books that I have written. And you'll find that, wait a second, when you listen and you read and you study what they're saying, they're just off. In the end, there will many, be many people who have compromised Scripture, many people who have compromised truth, who've said what used to be wrong, now it's right. What used to be evil, now it's celebrated. And the church has been led off. So Jesus says, be careful that nobody deceives you and leads you astray. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this, 
For the time will come, and this is really a, a key sign of the end, for the time will come when they will not put up with sound instruction or doctrine. They won't want the truth. But they will pile up for themselves teachers in keeping with their own desires to have their ears tickled. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and wander off into myths. Cannot tell you how many times that I have heard these mega church pastors, even lately, who have just shifted gears completely and gone away from the truth into something that is heretical or something that, that just deceives and leads people astray. So be careful what you listen to, who you listen to, what you pay attention to. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2 these words, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, concerning the coming of our Lord Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, and our gathering together to him, notice these words, not to get shaken out of your mind or disturbed. That's, that's deceived. Don't get shaken in your mind. Don't let your anchor point pull away. Don't walk away from the truth that you have. Don't compromise the doctrines that you need to follow. Don't pull it away. Don't be shaken in your mind or be disturbed. Either by, he says, a spirit or a word or a letter as though it was from us. Now, the, the Thessalonians had received a letter. It was a false letter. They thought it came from Paul. It was saying, you guys missed the day of the Lord's return. So they were stressed like crazy. Paul says, that wasn't for me. It was just meant to deceive you. There are false letters, false spirits, false doctrines, false religions, false belief systems that are there to lead people astray and to deceive. So he says, don't be shaken either by a spirit or a word, as if it come from us, as though the day of the Lord has come. Let no one, again, look at the word, deceive you in any way. For the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. What is the rebellion? That is the great falling away of people who said, yes, I want to follow Jesus, but they have turned their backs on him at the end. And the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed. The one destined to be destroyed. And then he says the coming of the lawless one, the, the Antichrist, is connected to the activity of Satan with all powers and signs and false wonders. They will do powers and signs. It will be miraculous. You will think, wow, that has to be of God. And he will say, no, just because they can do that does not mean that it's of God. Those are not the evidence of God Here's what the evidence of God is, he says. They will do all kinds of power, signs, false wonders with every kind of wicked deception toward those who are perishing. And here's why they perish. Because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. When God saves you and comes into your heart, there will be in your heart a love of the truth. I love God. I want to know his truth. I want to walk in his truth. I want to follow his truth. There is a love of the truth that gets planted in our hearts when we come to him through salvation. And many of you have experienced that. You accepted Jesus and your heart changed and you began to love God's word and to study God's word and want to know God's word. Because that's the change that happens. Be careful. Let no one deceive you. 
Instead, let love be planted in your heart, the love of the truth. Now, real quickly, the final one, how to avoid deception, be responsible, be rooted, and finally, be ready. Be ready. Deception's coming, and it's going to intensify. The more Satan is backed into the corner, the more we approach the end, the more these things will happen. In fact, when I show you uh, when we talk about Matthew 24, verses 24 and 25, where we talk about those that are leading even the elect, the chosen astray, you're going to see that it's going to happen more and more. And, and I'll show you those things. Be ready. Deception is coming. So take responsibility. Know the truth and know doctrine. Be aware. Be ready. Be prepared. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, be on the alert Stand firm, be men of courage, and that's, that's not gender specific, it's humanity. Be men and women of courage, be strong. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold on to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Let me conclude with this one last verse. Paul is saying all of this for this one reason alone. Colossians 2, he says this, I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive sounding arguments. Paul's warning is this, look, don't be led astray. Don't be deceived. It's going to intensify. It's going to amplify. It's going to be more and more prevalent. How do you know if it's deceptive or not? You have to know truth and be anchored in truth and filter everything through the truth of God's word. Everything I say, everything your favorite pastor on YouTube is saying, every book that is written, you filter it through the truth of God's word and you say, does that line up? Is that right? Is that accurate? The warning of Jesus was this, be careful that no one leads you astray or deceives you because in the end, many will come in my name saying, I am anointed, I have the anointing, I have the favor of God, you need to listen to me and their ultimate goal will be to lead people astray. So be responsible, be rooted and be ready for the battle. Let's pray. Father, as we go through these signs that Jesus gave, and the first sign is a clear indicator of what's going to happen in this world, help us to be prepared. Lord, help us to be not easily deceived. Help us to be anchored in your truth, that our anchors would go deep down into bedrock, that our roots would grow deep down into your soil. And that no matter what storm may come, no matter what winds may blow, no matter what waves may hit us, that we would be anchored and solid and prepared. Father, we can't do that unless we know the truth, so help us to know it. Help us to be in your word daily. Help us to study. Help us to be a part of Bible studies and small groups and discipleship uh, types of programs in order to help us grow. Help us to be teaching our kids and helping our kids to know your truth so that they are prepared when they leave the home. Help us, Lord, to not be deceived. We know that the evil one, the enemy, the antichrist will want to deceive people and lead them astray. Help us not to buy into it, to not drink the Kool-Aid, Lord, to be following you with all of our heart. We thank you for this day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. 
Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day, and may God bless you.